Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of this Lenten season, for the gift of the spiritual exercises and St. Ignatius. May he intercede for us uh, to help us grow deeper in love with you and to follow you ever more closely in this uh, journey of life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Uh, how's everybody finding it so far? Good. Yeah? It's a... Uh... Well, I realize how much time I've been wasting. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I started that people with our little minute, and I, I saw time. And with this, I really have been, you know, there is time. You have to give up some stuff. Though. Yeah. You have to give up stuff, yeah. Like you said, the screens. Yeah, those screens, man. The, they just, they're, they're so addictive and like they just draw you in and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Chocolate, had to give up all that stuff. It's, uh, but it's good because then when you enter in, like I, I'm doing it again. Uh, I've done it a few times with uh, other groups and stuff. And, uh, so I just use those same prayers every day as well. And they're just, they're wonderful. I, I mean, I love Isaiah 43, 1 through 7, which was the first day uh, that we prayed with, and then Psalm 139, and just these different uh, scripture verses that really help us to focus in on what God is, is doing. And I don't know if you noticed in Isaiah 43 how you could begin after prayerfully reading it to replace Judah or Israel with your own name as God is speaking that uh, to you. You know, that you are my beloved and I have chosen you. And that uh, there's a little part in there where even when you're walking through fire, you know, and you can see that that even when you're suffering, like he's with us, he's walking with us. And those are just great. uh, And that's the beauty of the exercises to give you something each day to pray with. And that's how God will encounter you. Like he'll use that to reach you in whatever way um, you need to know him that day. And then uh, when you continue to do that, you continue to get better at it, get better at the prayer time, and to the point where, you know, after eight weeks of it, you'll, um, you'll want it more. You know, you want to be in that uh, quiet time with the Lord, and He can teach you how to, uh, to enter more deeply into that uh, prayer life, because it is a journey, it's a battle, and, you know, and I recognize there's There'll be all kinds of distractions and, and things that come up that will try to keep you from entering into prayer. And it's the battle of prayer that, uh, that we have to keep winning with God's grace. And when we do, uh, there's, always, there's always a deeper reward. So even if you, which we're going to talk about a little bit today with the discernment of spirits, like even when you have those, when you have those consolations in prayer, it's pretty easy to pray. But when those consolations are not there, you know, like, how do, how do we deal with that? What does that mean? Uh, so it's a very important part of the prayer journey to understand the movements of the good spirit and the evil spirit and to be able to recognize them and then make the choices that help us uh, continue on that journey. So that's why I decided over the next couple of weeks we'll be doing the, kind of going through the uh, discernment of spirits, which... Ignatius puts in the um, 
as an appendix there to the spiritual exercises because he sees that as uh, something very important for us to understand so that we uh, don't fall prey to the the evil spirit who keeps uh, wants to keep us from praying, obviously. So we know what to do whenever we recognize him at work. So we'll, I think what today we'll do today is <clears throat> uh, cover the first four uh, of those, as Ignatius calls rules. I call them uh, guidelines. Is uh, kind of what what they really are. The the first. Um, four, there are two pairs. So one and two go together, and then three and four go together. And then that, and then we'll uh, dig into those, uh, the next ones after that, in the next ten. So the, the first rule, or guideline, reads, the first rule, in persons who are going from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is or- ordinarily accustomed to propose apparent pleasures to them leading them to imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and make them grow in their vices and sins. In these persons, the good spirit uses a contrary method, stinging and biting their consciences through their rational power of moral judgment. And so uh, this is the, the interesting thing. When you're, when, you're having, when you're going away from God, the... Good spirit is going to cause you turmoil for those sins by bringing it to your conscience that you're, that you're failing, that you need to repent and turn around. Uh, whereas the evil spirit will try to make you be okay with them. Like, oh, no, no, no. Like, the, you know, proposing uh, your, to your imagination, like, no, no, this is good for you. you. You can enjoy this. There's lots of pleasure in here. And even though in the end you know it's not good and it doesn't work and it doesn't fulfill you, like that's what you have to battle against if you're going away from God. So that's just good to know. All of you are here, you're going to be heading towards God. That's why you're here. Uh, So you're going to fall under the second category. Uh, But just recognize that first one, like there's a lot in the world, maybe in our families and stuff that we can recognize that in, uh, that they're caught up into the sensual pleasures of the world. And you know, it's like, no, 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 I'm happy, I'm happy. You know, but deep down, there's a biting and a stinging going on in their conscience. And that's God, that's a God at work. Which tells us just how much God loves us. He doesn't give up on us, right? He continues, even when we're marching away from Him, to try to draw us back by helping us recognize that you are not happy. I mean, that was my experience in my own life. This is just, this is just true. <laughs> this is just how it works. Uh, you know, I remember those times of, you know, waking up in the morning and, you know, I just having continual life of partying and everything else and waking up in the morning and being like, what am I doing? What's wrong with me? And then just having to kind of stuff that back down because I don't want to think about it too much because then I'd have to reevaluate my life. And eventually God uh, broke through in that, obviously. <laughs> But then, yeah, right? <laughs> Praise God, I do. I thank Him every day for that. Um, yeah, left to myself is dangerous. But then the second rule, which is going to be uh, what's really important for us, because uh, this is where we are. It says, The second, in persons who are going on intensely purifying their sins and rising from good to better in the service of God our Lord, the method is contrary and that, then, to that in the first rule. 
For then it is proper for the evil spirit to bite and sadden and place obstacles, disquieting with false reasons, so that the person may not go forward. And it is proper to the good spirit to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, and quiet, easing and taking away all obstacles, so that the person may go forward in doing good. And this is going to be what the second rule is what he's going to focus on in the rest of these rules and how they operate. And so in, a, in Ignatius's own life, this comes, all of these rules come from his experience. Like they're not some theory that he came up with, but it was how God broke into his life. So he was a, a Spanish, he was of a lower kind of royalty, uh, but totally wanted to be all part of the, the court, you know. And so he was sort of in, in part of that. And he was a soldier, and he wanted to be this awesome soldier who would sweep the women off their feet and like and just kind of be this awesome guy. And he was in a battle, and he got his leg <laughs> hit with a cannonball. Uh, it was terrible. And uh, like shattered parts of it. They kind of mended him up on the, the actually the, the people he was battling, the French soldiers, like tried to mend him up a little bit. And they sent him back to his hometown <clears throat> and uh, Loyola. And he was convalescing there with his uh, sister-in-law at their place. And um, he woke up afterwards, and they didn't do a very good job. And so, like, there was this piece of bone that was sticking out of his knee. Um, and back then, they wear these, like, tights with the little skirts or whatever. Uh, it's kind of weird, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a 1400, so, you know, whatever. And they, uh, so he knew that that would look weird. And he was so vain that without anesthetics, uh, anesthesia or any of that stuff, he said, okay, now you got to re-break that and make it better. And so he went through the pain. Like this guy, I mean, when it comes to uh, going all in for whatever it is he, he was living for, he did it. And then they rebroke it. I mean, he basically was in a coma for like a few weeks after that, trying to recover. And it did. It made it a little bit better. But they had to cut some of the bone off to get it to work. So that leg was a little shorter than the other one. Uh, and then he was just stuck, laying in bed, waiting. You know, uh, it was once the infections, all that stuff, got taken care of that he woke back up. And so then he was just waiting and and uh, trying to. Uh, mend, and so he asked for these books on like uh, like Don Quixote, right? These uh, great stories of of uh, finding uh, finding the sweeping the woman off their feet and winning these battles and all this stuff. Well, his sister-in-law didn't have any of those. All she had was a story, uh, stories of the saints and the life of Christ. So she brought him those books, and so he would read those books. And when he would read those books. Uh, he began to notice some, something that would go on in his heart. And he would fluctuate between thinking about these, creating these m magical fantasies in his head about being this great soldier. And, and uh, I think there was one particular woman at court who was kind of above him in the royalty. So he had no chance of ever getting her, but he would dream about it. Um, and so he noticed that, he began to notice one day when the Lord opened his eyes that when he dreamed about those things, and he could spend hours doing it, that there was a consolation in the middle of thinking about it. But then soon after he stopped, 
that there was this dryness and this kind of desolation that set in as soon as he stopped thinking about the worldly project. And yet when he would begin to read the lives of Christ and the, and the lives of the saints, uh, that he would have that same consolation when he was doing it. But then even after he stopped reading it, there would remain this consolation, this peace, uh, and this just kind of contentedness uh, afterwards. And he began to notice the difference between the worldly project and the godly project and how it was moving his heart. And from that, he discerned that obviously God was moving his heart to take up his project, right? And to leave the worldly project behind because it didn't provide that lasting sense of consolation. And so he began to follow that um, and believe it and, be, and to be transformed in it. And so that was, that's where he gets these two ideas of how the good spirit, when he was thinking about the good things, would continue on that way. The good spirit, when he was thinking about the worldly project, would cause a little discontent and dryness to happen after it. So that, that was God moving him in that direction. Uh, and so that's where he kind of comes up with this, how he knows. And he says in the beginning, uh, just to go back one at the little introduction to the rules, it says, rules for becoming aware and understanding to some extent the different movements which are caused in the soul, the good to receive them, the bad to reject them. Uh, so that's really the key. We have to become better aware of what the movements of our heart are, and then we need to understand them. Uh, where do they come from? Who's, who's trying to move me here? So if it's God, then we accept them. If it's the evil spirit, then we reject them. And that's the simplicity of what we're going to do in these uh, spiritual rules, in these uh, discerning discern, uh, rules of discernment. Uh, so aware, becoming aware and understanding. And you can see it in his own life. It was when he became aware that there was a difference when he prayed with the worldly project and the godly project uh, of how his heart felt afterwards, paying attention to that. And so we'll, uh, what we'll look at now is the kind of the most important for us uh, to kind of get a grasp on today, which is going to be the spiritual consolation and desolation and the difference between the two so that we can then begin to apply it in, uh, in our lives. So the third rule is on consolation. The third is of spiritual consolation. I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And consequently, when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth itself, but only in the creator of them all. Likewise, when it sheds tears that move it to, its, to love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins or for the passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly ordered to his service and praise. Finally, I call consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity, and all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. So that one, uh, I mean, we probably experienced those times of consolation where it's like prayer is easy and you just, you know, deep down, like, uh, like I know the, the Lord loves me and it's like everything kind of makes sense in those moments. And sometimes they just kind of, 
grab you out of out of nowhere. And there's this uh, lightness, this peace, this light, uh, this joy in our heart in those moments. And we recognize it as something spiritual because it moves us to love God, to want to serve Him, to want to do what He's He's asking of us. There are also things that are not spiritual, right? They're just non-spiritual consolations as well. You know, like a beautiful day or a juicy steak or, you know, like uh, some M&Ms, whatever it is, you know, like these, uh, there could be like non-spiritual consolations that we experience in this life. But then we know when there's a spiritual consolation because it's something that moves us uh, to love God, to have greater faith, to have deeper hope in what's going on. And so we can recognize that's the difference. We're going to look for spiritual consolations um, in our life. And you're going to notice those, those types of movements. Sometimes, you know, you're moved to, uh, to tears uh, for what the Lord has done for you in your, in your life. You know, that's a spiritual consolation because you're like, Where the, where, where's this coming from? You know, it's like there's those moments where God just lets you know uh, his love. And those are spiritual consolations. Uh, does that make sense to everybody? I mean, I imagine you can recognize those at some point in different times of, in prayer. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, they're not, they don't happen all the time, right? Uh, so they're these little gifts that God gives. But as we'll recognize uh, as we go through these things, he does that a lot at the beginning of like a conversion, like a deeper conversion to him. Because um, he's kind of wooing us, drawing us in, right? Uh, but he also takes them away at times because we, like, like anything good, we can get too attached to it, right? We start to love the consolations instead of him. Uh, and we never want to get to where we, we love the consolations and forget to love the one who gives them to us, right? It's always about him. And so there'll be times there's an ebb and flow within our life of, of the, with these spiritual consolations and spiritual desolations. Uh, and it's the, the key to recognize like when we have them, um, he'll talk about it later on in some of the rules, like what we do when we experience those, um, because we don't want to become attached to them. Otherwise, they're defeating their purpose. Uh, they're just great things that we thank God for in the moment, and we allow it to strengthen us uh, for the next time of spiritual desolation. Uh, but those are those are ones to, uh, and maybe I'll even email out. Uh, there's, I think I have another little article on consolation and desolation to help us uh, continue to discern what it is that's moving in our heart. But uh, anything that draws us closer to God, like those those uh, feelings of joy, of peace. Uh, of light, you know, just this lightness. Sometimes you can feel heaviness, and then other times you just feel like, all right, I mean, I feel the, the lightness of, of God. And they can be very subtle or very, they can be intense, or they can be very subtle, just little ones. Like the, there's a whole gradation of things. Uh, they can be very brief, or they can last a long time. I mean, there are, there's a whole scale. The Lord knows what he's doing and knows what we need and how to move us. And so uh, we just kind of, be okay with whatever it is that he's doing in those uh, situations. But what we're going to do is uh, get into spiritual desolation now. 
because most of the rules that follow are going to be what do we do in spiritual desolation because that's the hard one. Consolation is pretty easy. Just thank God for it and receive it and allow it to strengthen you. Desolation, not so much. Uh, so that's what we'll define and then <clears throat> maybe have a, a little example of, of that in someone's life. And then a, uh, and then prepare us maybe for, for what we're going to next week, which is how do we respond to these. So the fourth rule is uh, of spiritual desolation. I call desolation all that is contrary to the third rule, such as darkness of soul, disturbance in it, movement to low and earthly things, disquiet from various agitations and temptations, moving to lack of confidence without hope, without love, finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, and as if separated from one's Creator and Lord. For just as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way, the thoughts that come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts that come from desolation. All right. Probably all recognize those as well. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's the normal work of the, in the spiritual journey. But in, there are also, as I mentioned, non-spiritual consolations. There are also non-spiritual desolations, right? Um, feeling tired, uh, depressed it, it, on a certain day. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the never-ending winter. You know, you're just feeling it, you know. Or you haven't seen the sun in weeks and you can feel that kind of heaviness. That's non-spiritual. Uh, However, the thing with non-spiritual desolation is it can sometimes quickly lead to spiritual desolation if we don't recognize it, right? If we, you know, the, just the oppressiveness of certain days and things that are going on can lead to a spiritual desolation uh, if, we, if we don't know what to do in those moments when we recognize that going on. Um, so sometimes we need to do something like... Um, just non-spiritual. So if you're feeling like that roughness of the day, maybe you need to get on the treadmill and walk or, you know, uh, go drive around in the car, you know, or some, you know, like some simple non-spiritual things that can help us to overcome that, um, those non-spiritual desolations. But what we want to focus on and what this is about, and these rules afterwards will help with the non-spiritual too, because you can always bring it to prayer and be like, okay, Lord, I got this non-spiritual desolation going on. I'm going to bring this to you uh, so that it doesn't come into, turn into something more difficult. Uh, but, the, but the spiritual desolation, that's the one that we want to focus on because it, it begins to claim uh, power over our spiritual past, right? And it, and it makes itself think it's, gonna, you're, it's predicting our future. And I'll give you an example of, uh, like you get into spiritual desolation and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're, you feel like, you feel as if, like remember he says, as if your creator and Lord is gone, right? Like he's abandoned you. And in those moments you can begin to think, well, maybe all that stuff in my past is just, that, that was all a lie. Like he was never there. Like I was just created it in my own head. And then 
like uh, this is how it's going to be forever. I'm always going to be like this. I'm never going to experience God again. You know, like that's what spiritual desolation does. Almost immediately, we begin to doubt everything we've ever experienced, and never, and we look forward and we just see darkness. Spiritual desolation does that. It's like they put it puts on these black sunglasses that you can't see in either direction, right? That's spiritual desolation. Uh, it tries to interpret for you your past and predict your future. Uh, that's important to know because <clears throat> you'll know in that moment, okay, I know what I'm dealing with here. Uh, this is spiritual desolation. It makes you think almost too as if this is your identity, right? Like I'm so bad, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Um, he doesn't love me. This is just who I am. Uh, I'm a miserable wretch. And those, now remember, these are all the thoughts that come from spiritual desolation. And who is the, who is the instigator of spiritual desolation? The evil one, right? All right. We have to remember that. Another key is to recognize that we have, there is no shame in experiencing this. All right? This is normal. This is how it works in the spiritual life. There is no shame in experiencing spiritual desolation. But we have to have our eyes opened like St. Ignatius and become aware of it. Ah, what is happening right now? And then when we become aware of it, we understand what's going on. We're like, I know what this is. This is spiritual desolation. And then we put in, kick into his third rule, right? Become aware, understand a little bit, and then take action. If it's from the evil one and the spiritual desolation, then I reject it. Nope, that's not going to... That's not going to reinterpret my past experiences of God, and it's not going to predict my future. I'm going to I'm going to be right here in this moment and recognize that those dark glasses that have blacked everything out in my spiritual journey are not the reality. This is a this is a moment to recognize and reject, and then all of the rest of the rules that we'll talk about next week are about rejecting spiritual desolation. How to do that in our in our prayer. Uh, <clears throat> and there's never a complete removal of light. There's always a little bit of light there, especially whenever we become aware of it. Like, okay, I see what's happening here. I know who this is, old red legs. He's messing with me. And sometimes, uh, you know, we'll, and we'll talk about this more specifically in one of the rules of, like, why does this happen? Because um, sometimes, I mean, God allows it to happen. Um, but what is he trying to teach us? You know, and how do we learn from this? Many times in the spiritual life, like when uh, folks have a conversion and they start going deeper in their prayer life and then they, and it's all easy, right? There's this spiritual consolation that God uh, is feeding you on. And then he kind of takes it away just for a little bit. And you've like, what? I mean, all of it's been fake. What? Like you almost lose your mind. You know, and you, you turn around, you turn away from him, and you think it's all been fake. That's spiritual desolation. But the Lord is is faithful, and so He's always going to be moving us. So it's good to we have to know this stuff. Otherwise, we'll uh, we'll quit, and then then we're then that's the worst possible scenario is <laughs> that we quit praying. Uh, what we have to do is fight against spiritual desolation, and the Lord will. Uh, be at work in this as well. Because 
Spiritual desolation and, and consolation is a normal thing. It's going to ebb and flow in our spiritual journey. And I love the, the rules after this because they're all about how do I combat this spiritual desolation? Um, what do I do with it? And I'll just, for the sake of praying, for your own prayer, um, I'll jump ahead to what we'll talk about more next week. Uh, in number five is you never make a change in desolation. I mean, there's a very practical sense in that people will use in the workplace. Like, you don't make decisions when you're upset or, you know, that kind of thing. Same thing in the spiritual journey. You can't change what you've begun in prayer in a state of spiritual desolation and think you're gonna, that's going to be a good thing, right? So if you've said, I'm praying 30 minutes a day, and then you hit this spiritual desolation, your first inclination is going to be to give it up, Right? Uh, that's the one thing you can't do. You never make a change in spiritual desolation. You don't make any changes. That's rule five. One of the most important, never make a change. You just keep doing what you're doing, and, you can, when you, and then you can, and what happens is somebody will want to make a change in that regard, um, but if you know this rule, never make a change, then you'll pray through it, and then you get to a point of spiritual consolation, and you don't want to make those changes anymore. Because it wasn't God leading you in that. When, in those spiritual desolation, we're listening more to the evil one. Yeah, change that. Stop praying. Stop praying. You don't, definitely don't want to pray. And you're like, okay, get out of here. Um, you reject it, right? That's his, that's his great thing. Reject those lies uh, of spiritual desolation. There's a, where is it here? Kind of the opposite of that would be that if it was something that you needed to change, you probably wouldn't bother you. The devil probably wouldn't. Oh, yeah. You mean if it's like if there's some type of uh, obstacle going on in our spiritual journey, like a. Well, like if you think you're doing the right thing, but you really should change it. Mm-hmm. If that was the case, then the devil wouldn't. You wouldn't have that desolation. Because nope. Yeah, yeah. It'd be it'd be kind of like the uh, in the first rule there, right? If there's some, let's just say it's like down to some little area in our life, and uh, we don't want to change it, and that area is moving away from God. There's a lot of areas moving, trying to move towards God, but that one's moving away from it. Then he's he's gonna kind of keep you like, oh no, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about that. You know, we can we'll start creating all these justifications and things in our head and like. You know, that's just a, da, 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 you know. Um, whereas there'll still be that biting and stinging that's going on in that area as the Lord's trying to get us to move that way. But yeah, if there's anything that's going the wrong way, He's not going to get you to try to change that. That'll be the Holy Spirit at work. Um, and there's a, a I'll, I'll read you a couple of these examples for Rule 4. So, desolation. Alice is a dedicated woman of faith, active for years in her parish. Sharing the life of the parish is a source of spiritual strength for her and brings her joy in the Lord. More recently, she has moved to a new town and joined a local parish. Here, too, Alice has sought involvement in the parish community, but in her new setting, what has found this more difficult? A year passes amid struggles, and she begins to question the value of her efforts. Alice sees herself as pretty complete as a pretty complete failure and feels altogether discouraged. Recently, even in her own personal prayer, she has experienced feelings of emptiness, of being abandoned by God. She feels that God is no longer near 
and she becomes overwhelmed with frustration. She wonders if she isn't altogether losing her faith in God's loving care. She does continue to faithful to be faithful to community worship and to her personal times of prayer, but all seems hopeless and meaningless. What is Alice experiencing? Spiritual desolation, right? It's it's her the situation in this new parish has brought about these feelings of emptiness, of being abandoned by God. Uh, there's no longer the God's no longer near, overwhelmed with frustration losing faith in God, like that's all spiritual desolation talk. So being able to uh, recognize that is, is very key to beginning to overcome it. Because those are lies, right? The, he's a liar from the beginning. So spiritual desolation is the liar who's bringing these things about. Um, I mean, we get them all, we, it happens all the time, the ebb and flows. I mean, there are times when that when that happened to me, and practicing these for uh, years, they uh, almost really quickly begin to recognize it. Like, okay, that's not God at work. There's, uh, there's just situations where, I mean, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time before you recognize, like, what is something going on? My heart's heavy. And um, I remember one time just the the, the difficulty of, the day, like the day was full and all this stuff was going on. And then um, there was kind of this emergency thing that came up and needed to meet. And I was like, I don't have any time. And I just got all this anxiety and felt overwhelmed in the moment. I was like, boop, boop, boop. this is not God. This is not how God works in my life. So I just went and knelt down and I prayed. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I just felt in my heart like, okay, give 30 minutes, and I'll take care of the rest of the day. That's what I felt in my heart. So I was like, okay. So I text him back. I'm like, I got 30 minutes now. If you can come over, yeah, be right there. Come over, um, talking. And in the middle of the conversation, uh, there's just this unbelievable, tangible peace just like washed over me. And I, it was so profound that I, I'm pretty sure I made a face. I was like, what was that? And the poor person, I was like, I don't know if they saw me make the face, but I, but I was just like, it was overwhelming. And I was like, ah, the Lord is teaching me. Like, instead of, because this, this is one of the first times I combated it that soon. Normally, I would have sat in that, and all my whole day would have been difficult, have been heavy, and have been depressive. Um, but instead, taking it right to him, he changed it. That peace set in. And the rest of the day, I mean, I had all those appointments and stuff. The rest of the day was unbelievable because he was at the center of it. He was the one doing the work. But he was teaching me in that moment. That's why he allowed it because he taught me something very uh, fruitful in that uh, to bring him all of those times. So whenever I start to feel that um, spiritual desolation, to immediately go to him. I don't change things. I just immediately go to him. What do you want me to do? And there's just, I mean, he doesn't like speak to me audibly or any of that. There's, you just feel like moved in that direction. Just do that, you know? Because, I mean, it was probably my, my selfishness and everything else, you know? That, I was like, I don't want to do that. When is going to be time for me, you know? And it's like all, the, all those other thoughts that go through your head. And, uh, and so when I took it to him, instead of listening to those lies of my own weak nature, but also the evil one, uh, then he, he changed it. I mean...
And that's a, that was an amazing eye-opening thing for me. These things, these rules became alive. Like, oh, these things do work. <laughs> like, <laughs> they work amazingly. Um, and there's one more example of, uh, of this uh, is St. Ignatius wrote many letters, to, and this one was to Sister Teresa Rajdell. Uh, she, was in, uh, she would write him for advice. And he said, uh, responding to her letter, I will call your attention briefly to two lessons which our Lord usually gives or permits. The one of them he gives, the other he permits. The first is an interior consolation which casts out all uneasiness and draws one to complete love of our Lord. In a word, when this divine consolation is present, all trials are pleasant and all weariness rest. He who goes forward with his fervor, warmth, and interior consolation finds every burden light and sweet uh, in every penance and trial, however great. This consolation points out and opens the way we are to follow and points out the way we are to avoid. It does not remain with us always, but it will always accompany us on the way at the times that God designates in his providence. All of this is for our progress. So there he's explaining spiritual consolation. So that's the one he gives. And then Ignatius says, the other he permits. He says, but when this consolation is absent, the other lesson comes to light. Our ancient enemy sets up all possible obstacles to turn us aside from the way on which we have entered. He makes, us, he makes use of everything to vex us, and everything in the first lesson is reversed. We find ourselves sad without knowing why. We cannot pray with devotion, nor contemplate, nor even speak or hear of the things of God with any interior taste or relish. Not only this, but if he sees that we are weak and much humbled by these harmful thoughts, he goes on to suggest that we are entirely forgotten by God our Lord and leads us to think that we are quite separated from him and that all we have done and all that we desire to do is entirely worthless. He thus endeavors to bring us to a state of general discouragement. For this reason, it is necessary for us to be aware of our opponent. So that's his little commentary even on, his, uh, on these things. So to recognize what he'll do. If we, if we sit with him, if we, we don't recognize him or become aware of him quickly, he'll keep trying to press on and be like, oh yeah, like, you've got to give up this way of going. It's, it's going to be miserable for you. All it is is a cross, you know, or just give it up. And that, those are the little things that will come into your mind. Um, and the Lord has allowed it in his providence because he's going to teach us, he's going to strengthen us, uh, and he's going to see, I mean, he's going to try us. You look throughout the scriptures and it's always talking about God trying those he loves because he wants us to be better, right? Um, so if you, uh, for instance, with a little child, like if you don't encourage them to walk, they will be happy for you to carry them around all the time, right? Uh, like eventually you got to, and they don't like it because it hurts. You got to fall down, you get back up, and it's just difficult. That's the same in the spirit. We're, we're little children in the spiritual life. And the Lord is at times in spiritual desolation trying to get us to walk on our own a little bit more. Um, and we're going to fail and fall, but he never, he never gives up on us. And we need to recognize in those moments that... Uh, uh, start to put into practice these other rules on how to fight against spiritual desolation. Because once you begin fighting against it, and uh, you can't, it kind of changes, changes your whole prayer life. So there are times um, 
the, you know, when I go into my holy hour and it's just heavy, there's nothing, there's no consolation or anything there. And used to it'd be, that'd be pretty tough. I mean, but nowadays it's like, okay, the Lord's doing something more. He's purifying my heart. He wants me to love him for him, not for what he gives me. Uh, and you can really enter into it in a way that's really transformative and powerful and purifying. And that's, a, that's the, the goal of our life, is to be purified and prepared for heaven, to, to do purgatory here, right? Get, get rid of all the faults and the, and the weaknesses and stuff uh, as we move through our life here uh, to prepare us for heaven. And so there's always suffering involved. That's why that health and wealth gospel is so dangerous out there, because it's, it's, that's a, <laughs> speaking of the red legs, that's his work, like to pre, pre, pretend that everything God wants you, if, you, if you're not healthy or wealthy, like the, you know, then that's what God wants for you. Then you don't have faith or something, or you don't have, it's like, that's nonsense. Nobody has that life. <laughs> I mean, you're fooling yourself if you think that. And you're fooling yourself if you think that's what the scriptures say, because, I mean, what was it yesterday? Jesus, pick up your cross and follow me. He pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus goes to the cross. Like it's, we're not in the resurrection yet. We're always in uh, on the way to Good Friday, and it's the resurrection after um, after that. But so in our life, there'll be these battles in prayer, and you'll get to the point to where you're like, enjoy, you kind of enjoy them because you know, like the Lord's taking me deeper. Like it's not just that he 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 wants me to fight. He's going to see and he's going to be there with me. It's it's kind of like Moses holding up his hands, right, for the for the Israelites to conquer. I mean, it's, it's it looks ridiculous. But Moses was humble enough to do whatever God told him to do. He's like, okay, go up there on the top of that mountain, and I want you to hold your hands up, and they'll win as long as you hold your hands up. And you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, send an army or something. Like, but it was this in humility he did it, and then he had other people like help hold his arms up. But they beat this giant, uh, this giant army that they had no way of beating. That's what, we can't beat the evil one on our own. He's way smarter than we are uh, and way more evil uh, than we are good. And so we need God and we know that he's always there with us. So when we enter into the battle, we don't have to worry about fighting alone. Him, his angels, his saints, they're always with us. Uh, It's just the key of becoming aware of these movements of your heart. So this week as you're praying the different prayers, the different days of prayer and stuff, Pay attention. How's your heart moving? Even look back over this last week. Um, were there certain verses or uh, scripture verses or something that spoke to your heart that you experienced consolation, the spiritual consolation? Were there other times during your week that you experienced spiritual desolation? Uh, when, you, when you see that happen in your prayer time or even just during your day, jot it down and start to kind of keep track of like the movements so that you can become more and more aware of like, okay, I see what happened then. That was earlier on I had this experience of desolation or whatever, and then it, it kind of colored the rest of my day. What? And we can learn from that. Like, okay, next time I can be more aware of that, and then I can take action. In that. And that's what will get all the tools for taking action against that uh, in the next time. Um, but that's the kind of paying attention to the movements of your heart. It's, it's not easy. It's not always... When you're first starting to do this, it doesn't always uh, feel real easy to do it. But just keep practicing it and ask the Lord for help because he'll show you how to recognize where your heart's moving. 
heaviness, lightness. Those are the ways that I um, kind of recognize it more readily. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Is this something, something just going on? Is this something natural or is this something spiritual? Right? And, uh, and you start asking yourself those questions throughout the day and you'll become more and more aware and then we'll be able to attack those things. But I need to finish because I've got an appointment coming in. Uh, so I'm going to say a little prayer and a blessing. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just ask you to pour your Holy Spirit upon your beloved children here today. May you guide them in their prayer. May you help them recognize the movements of your Holy Spirit. And when they recognize this, the movements of the evil spirit, may you give them the grace to know it and reject it and to trust evermore in you. May Almighty God bless each and every one of you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week in this room.